There is a saying in Ukraine, a proverb if you like, wise men learn from other men's mistakes, and Putin's actions in Ukraine over the past few months have been very educational. Uh, here to talk to me about those actions, in particular the occupation and how it is going, and what the West's response should be, uh, I have Aid Thompson from Aid Thompson and Other Disappointments. Aid, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing? I, uh, you're very welcome, and I'm I'm very good. Thank you. Good, good. I um I don't know where you sort of lie on the whole uh, Russia Ukraine thing. What your kind of takes have, have actually been? I, I haven't seen much from you on that. I'm sure you've spoken about it, but I just haven't caught your uh, uh, your your takes on it yet. So, do you want to give us a sort of um, a, a ground view of your perspective? Yeah, I can do. I mean, I've I've not really spoken about it much militarily, I suppose, because. A lot of the content that I put out is around, say, like the cost of living crisis, uh, like domestic British political issues, ranting about the uselessness of parliamentarians. Um, it's that sort of stuff. Um, and so I suppose when I've spoken about Ukraine or Russia uh, in the past, it's it's tend to come from that kind of perspective, i.e. Uh, our you know, electricity and gas bills have started soaring and that started happening at around the same time as, as Russia invaded Ukraine. Um, I guess like my, my stance on it is like most Westerners would be. Uh, it seemed like they overstepped uh, the sovereign territory of, of Ukraine a few years ago with uh, with Crimea. Um, I think that was seen or misrepresented, uh, misrepresented quite substantially by... Uh, a lot of our own domestic media that this was just part of uh, trying to reestablish what used to be a Soviet area or, you know, Russian imperialism. For me, I've always looked at it like this is all about fossil fuels and natural gas supplies. Um, I think that's probably what started it with Crimea. And I think that's probably what's uh, progressed it now with, with the wider Ukraine. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, flatly, and unashamedly against the invasion of Ukraine. Um, I actually can't believe it's still going on. I would have thought they, Russia would have pulled back by this point. Um, but uh, anyway, we are where we are. That's that's me in the round. Yeah, no, that that all makes perfect sense. And, and it makes uh, sense in particular when you consider how dependent um, uh, Russia is to on selling oil and gas to the the west well mostly gas to the west um the recent nord stream 2 attacks uh, the attacks on the nord stream 2 pipelines are actually very unlikely to be uh russian attacks they're much more likely to be uh from one of the allied sides um possibly uh i mean nobody knows exactly who has uh carried out those attacks um mm. but the, the thing is is russia's economy does depend on its selling gas to the west which places it in a really awkward position when it comes to negotiations um in the past week russia has annexed uh, four more areas of ukraine donetsk luhansk kherson and uh, zaporizhia and um, there was a really interesting report produced by the center for information resilience uh, talking about how russia is carrying out its um occupation of kherson um and particularly how they're going about uh, assimilation. Because you've got to remember, Putin does not want to be the occupier forever. He wants to mm. integrate this into the, the Russian, uh, these, these territories into the Russian world. So, for example, they're changing all the uh, English, um, uh, all the English, all the education uh, textbooks to uh, the standard ones used in Russia. Um, and they're sending children, child refugees from Ukraine uh, over to Russia to live with um, in summer camps with Russian children. Um, there's mm. a big push at the moment to get collaboration o on the Ukrainian side. And mm. it's not been all that successful. Um, and there's a lot of uncertainty even to the collaborators with Russia claiming that it's supplying the electricity to Kherson, but it's actually unclear which side is supplying the electricity uh, and who has the, the say in that particular, uh, in the areas of um, infrastructural management. Yeah, it's a, it's a, an interesting, uh, interesting direction to uh, to take things in. Um, with with what they say they're doing, uh, 
and and denials of responsibility regarding Nord Stream, um, the accusations of I don't know, like other like the, the the most recent one. I think there was an attack on a uh, a big park where people just hang out, like civilians just go down there. You know, boyfriends mm-hmm. and girlfriends go down there to hang out. And uh, as far as I could understand on um, the podcast I was listening to yesterday, they said, you know, this is a, a a completely civilian area and these are Russian missiles that have hit this area. And they must know that it's a civilian area. Like, it's not a military target. Um, now, whether that whether it's Russian denials that these things have happened or whether it's uh, Russia saying that, like, Ukraine are hiding weapons in that area or if it's Russia saying we didn't do this to Nord Stream or like there's so much misinformation when you deal in misinformation in the way that Russia traditionally have both domestically and geopolitically with things like the Brexit referendum and the Trump uh, campaign. It's very, very difficult to take anything at face value um, when they then deny responsibility or indeed then when they say it's us that's giving you the, the electricity. Like it's just it's the waters are so muddied. I don't know what to make of of, um, of their sort of protestations in that respect, you know? Yeah. I mean, the the citizens in the occupied areas, I think, are under the same same impression. And it's just about making living normal life in uh, these occupied areas as hard as possible unless you accept the occupiers um uh, the 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 occupiers ways of operating for example you have to pay for everything in rubles uh, you get easier access to education if you go and do your degree in crimea the the russian state uh, pay, pay for that um not not because they're uh, you know it's not some push to uh to uh, educate the people of Ukraine out of a goodwill. It's it's genuinely because they, they want to assimilate as, as fast as possible. You can't travel without a Russian passport or Russian license plate number. And the infrastructural information which is out there, and the most reliable source at the moment is Telegram, uh, is so infused with Russian propaganda, um, which is a classic way for authoritarian, authoritarian regimes to do propaganda, is to in, integrate it into the infrastructural network, um, mm. that it, it, it must be really difficult for uh, Ukrainians to maintain that sort of separation of information going, okay, we know these people are occupying us, so I have to take everything that they say with a, a grain of salt. Even for them, it must be, like you say, extremely confusing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't see how they can uh, operate very well on occupation. It must be very difficult. It's, a, it's an interesting thing to to tap into, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you've got the uh, the sort of military um, oppression from Russia, where it's like, right, we're going to dismantle this part. We're going to take over this facility. Um, uh, we want to control Ukraine. Uh, you, you've got that sort of a very defiant sort of iron fist element to this. And then you've got this sort of soft attack, this kind of cultural where it's like you need a russian license plate you need to pay for thing in, things in rubles we will educate your children if they go to a russian school and it's like actually what you're doing there is yeah like i mean if i put myself in a, in a situation of a you know a young ukraine family like i mean we're we're desperate for childcare. me and my girlfriend with our two kids as it is um if we if it was a similar situation here and like an invading force said you know, send your kids to this place around the like around the corner. It's safe that they will learn Chinese or, you know, mm. I don't know what choice we would have in that situation. We would just have to kind of roll with it. Like, you know, do we do we say no and then lose our jobs because we can't work? Or do we say yes and begrudgingly, you know, play our part in the assimilation, you know? Yeah, it's a really diff- And what counts as uh, what counts as collaboration? What counts as resistance? Uh, this is always an interesting question when you're looking at authoritarian regimes and occupation, uh, and usually you measure it in different levels of resistance. So resistance can be as simple as like, well, I work at a, a local factory producing food, which is going to feed the, the Russian military right now. Um, and I used to produce, um, I don't know, uh, 100 loads of bread an hour. Uh, mm. But because I'm resisting, I produce 70 
loaves of bread an hour. I slow it down to try and slow it. even even things like that are counted as as resistance and should be uh, considered as as potential signs of resistance. It, yeah, it is difficult. Um, it's even more difficult, of course, to work out what the the Russian citizens think because, of course, they live uh, almost permanently under under the occupation of um, uh, of the the Putin regime. What we were referring to a moment ago was the bridge counter strike. Mm. So the uh, the bridge, the main bridge connecting Crimea to mainland Russia, was uh, attacked and blown up by what we believe was a truck bomb. Also, that there's some speculation about that. Yeah. And in response, Russia, for no particular, it seems, military or strategic benefit, fired missiles into places like public parks, like you mentioned. Uh, mentioned, um, but also struck children's playgrounds, um, and the response was so violent and seemingly unnecessary that even it prompted even China to call for de-escalation. Which is, it doesn't sound very one-sided, but for China um, to call for de-escalation uh, in response to Russia doing a a, a, a counter-strike, um, yeah. That is a, a very clear indication to the Russians, you know, yeah. we don't support this. Well, I think until now, China have sort of stood firm, uh, reasonably neutral. I think their language has been very tempered in terms of their criticisms of Russia. I'm not sure exactly what that is about, like where it stems from, if if they've struck some sort of energy deal between them, if there's a sort of geopolitical or industrial influence to it. Um, but I think that the... the difference between let's say last week and this week uh it really comes down to the fact that um we're now in a a realm of war crimes it seems i mean you can you can invade a a province or you know an area like you can draw condemnation from various countries around the world for for misbehaving geopolitically um but if what you're doing is you know marching in there with tanks and planting a flag and saying right this is russia now if you haven't killed any like civilians or if you if you're not seen to be trying to be killing civilians then you know i guess there's a limit to the international condemnation that you could expect but when it's quite obvious that you're really shitting your tits about this bridge and this bridge was as i understand it quite a personal sort of thing for vladimir putin uh it was a, a way of solving and again look anyone can correct me if i've got this wrong but as i understand it the situation was when they annexed crimea um part of that was to do for like drilling for for gas but there's no fresh water in crimea so when they annexed it obviously then ukraine were like well we're not giving you fucking fresh water like you just you've taken the, the, the fucking peninsula or whatever off of us so they shut off the fresh water supply and so then that created a problem for putin and he built this bridge to connect it uh, and and allow that to happen so you know industry could continue there um and now ukraine or i don't know like whoever i mean i think ukraine have said that it's it was blown up by disgruntled uh, russians from that came from moscow but i mean again like who who can you believe in a situation like this let's let's assume on balance of probabilities that it probably was ukraine <laughs> that blew up the bridge it is as i say quite a personal thing for putin they he built this bridge as a way to solve that problem to continue work happening in Crimea, and they blew it up. I think the day after his birthday, um, and they were like, I don't know if you saw this, but on Twitter, the ofi- the official fucking Twitter account for Ukraine, <laughs> immediately after they blew the bridge up, his Twitter account goes sick burn. I was like, what the fuck is this? Is this a political account? Like, what the fuck? Yes, that that um, was very strange. Like, he like, had a... <sighs> trolly as fuck. Yes. But, um, anyway, sorry, to, to go back to the original, uh, the, the serious discussion that we're having. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think he took it personally, and it, and it seemed like he was throwing his toys out the pram in an erratic, uh, unplanned, highly illegal war crime kind of way. And that's what's changed in the last week, is now China are like, whoa, 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 hang on a second, hang on, like... I, I understand strategically you might want to get your hands on this formerly Russian area, but nobody ever said anything about fucking throwing missiles into parks and blowing up like teenagers and shit. Like, mm. so I think that's yeah. where the you know the, the things have changed. Yeah, well, uh, I think this is part of a 
wider expansion. If you look at Russia's efforts in uh, Syria, particularly in, in Duma and places where they've committed war crimes in the past, the the um, the quiet say so of uh, and the the sort of um, inaction uh, in the past has given Russia the impression that it, it can be allowed to get away with this. Um, I, I'd say that China has changed its tone massively since the areas like Kherson um, and uh, Zaporizhia looked like they were uh, in danger of being lost to Ukraine in the past month or so. Right. And I, I would say not only has China called for de-escalation, but China's uh, one, of, one of China's um, principal uh, anti-West allies, uh, North Korea, has felt the need to deny that they were selling weapons to the Russians. They don't, they, they're sort of being clear that we are not involved, we don't want to be involved, uh, which is a very unusual stance for uh, for North Korea to take towards a country which is a Chinese ally. Usually you'd think, oh, well, they'll either be quiet on it or they'll give sort of soft support. Um, but it seems they, they feel the need to actively deny. Um, yeah, things haven't wonder, been going well. Sorry, go on. I was, I was just going to say, it makes you wonder, like, if, if North Korea are the sort of, like, the proxy mouthpiece for china like it would be too perhaps damaging or too on the nose if china came out and said you need to fucking rein this in but having somebody who is as you say sort of aligned broadly with china that like north korea have license if you like to, to step outside and go we're not involved we don't want to be involved and then that gives you kind of an inkling as to what china actually are thinking you know yeah i um i would say that china though view russia now as more of a problem than a uh than a, a, a brilliant strategic ally like they're good because they've got nukes and uh a, a reasonably large share of land and also they want to maintain good reasonably good relations because they share a land border um but apart from that uh in, in terms of a an alliance um russia is like it's looking more like a hindrance to to china right now um especially mm. as putin has really placed himself in a box but we will kind of get onto that in a in a minute because um i wanted to uh talk about uh putin and just hear a little clip that was uh widely shared from putin's speech uh, about a week week two weeks ago when he announced the annexation of the next luhansk Kherson and zaporizhia uh, because i think it is interesting to listen to and in particular, I want those on the left who are apprehensive about supporting Ukraine's resistance um, to listen to this and think to yourself, even if there are people like the Azovs on the side of Ukraine right now, which side of this conflict do you really want to be on? And, and think to yourself seriously about that. And let's hear what they've got to say. So this is Putin speaking last week. He says, let's answer ourselves some very simple questions. I would like to return to what I said and address all citizens of our country, not just the colleagues gathered in this hall. It's from September 30th of this year. He says, here in Russia, do we want to replace the concept of mother and father with parent one, parent two, parent three? They've completely lost it in the West. Do we want schools to impose perversions on our children that leads to degradation and extinction? Do we want them to be infected with the false idea that there are other genders besides men and women and offer gender reassignment surgery? Is that what we want for our country and our children? All of this is unacceptable to us. We have a different vision for our future. Let me repeat that the dictatorship of the Western elites targets all societies, including the citizens of Western countries themselves. This is a challenge to all. This complete renunciation of what it means to be human, the repudiation of faith and traditional values, and the suppression of freedom is coming to resemble a religion in reverse outright Satanism. Exposing false messiahs, Jesus Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Gospel of Matthew, by the, their fruits ye shall know them. And these poisonous fruits are already obvious to the people in all countries, including many people in the West itself. Hey. 
just let that mm. play through to the end. Um, I feel like a lot of people don't appreciate just the role that uh, religious Russian Orthodox extremism plays in what make up makes up Putin's ideology these days. Yeah, it's it's interesting. We we see so much of Putin as a uh, sort of military leader, um, as someone who goes into this country or uh, uh, stands up to the West, or you know, we we hear a lot about subterfuge and compromat and. Uh, actually quite rarely do we hear his views on or, or maybe it's just the, the circles i move in and the echo chambers i tweet in but um I, it's that's the first time in a long time i think i've heard his views on things like trans rights and like lgbtq and everything it's quite like it's surprising how jarring it is for me to listen to that you know yeah it's it's shocking and i think uh the other thing is is I, I don't think it's appreciated how close a lot of rhetoric uh, in the Republican Party is to the uh, the U.S. Republican Party, I should say, um, and the extreme wing, wings of the Conservative Party. And it, it must be said, um, people like Rosie Duffield and, and J.K. Rowling as well, how uh, a lot of the same rhetoric uh, is being used here, uh, talking about like nonsense about parent one and parent two. Like, no one says yeah. this. What, what are you talking about? Um, yeah. And yeah, the the idea of degrada- degradation, uh, you know, degradation of the family and all this stuff, like which is a a reflection of the sort of homophobic propaganda which is running throughout the sort of nineteen eighties because you you had this idea of like oh you're erasing the idea of marriage or you're erasing the idea of womanhood, but also a reflection of the far right idea of degeneracy, which is tied into all sorts of uh, stuff to do with with um, race as well as as. Uh, gender and, and sex but that's not as explicitly put out there yeah and it's quite shocking to see that stuff and to have it put in front of you and i don't think it's done enough because a lot of conservatives like, broadly agree with with some of this stuff it's wild isn't it it's like yeah you can absolutely lay like a transcript version of what he's just said there over a transcript of somebody in the republican party or the like the tory ultras absolutely you could and uh and you could you could draw like red marker pen parallels over the buzzwords and the, the phraseology that they that they share um i mean you don't have to go too far in the pages of some of the trashier newspapers to see stuff like the the hysteria over like drag queens as a thing in the u.s now isn't it? it's like children shouldn't be able to see drag queens it's like number one no one's no one's telling you to take your kid to a drag queen show. Like it's fine. Um, and then it, like you know, number two, it's like like why do you care so much? What like what other people are doing with their life? Like if somebody wants to do that sort of entertainment, just let them crack on with it. Like I I don't understand how we've got to this point. Like twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three, going going into another year where we're still focusing on how individuals live their lives. And ironically, by predominantly by political parties who obsess over individualism, like it's completely that shit to me. It's crazy. It's so much designed to push a certain narrative, a certain push towards ultra conservative social values, um, Mm. which I feel like are, are, if they happened in this country, a lot of the left would just oppose it outright. Um, but because it's Russia doing it and they're supposedly uh, anti-imperialist, even when they're doing an imperialist invasion, which has never made sense to me, it's because, because they're the supposed anti-imperialist power, uh, then that, that's fine. That's OK. And it's like, hang on a minute. What what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also it, it's sort of like over here we have, you know, the culture war is, is something that gets spoken about a lot. It's this sort of idea that we're distracting people with cultural like British identity kind of issues. So we talk a lot about, you know, poppies and statues and the proms and flags. And uh, whilst we're obsessing over who's pulled down a statue and how long they should be jailed for. Meanwhile, the people that, who, who are in government at that moment have license to go away and then do whatever the fuck they like, sign this dodgy contract, loot the public purse for this many billions. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and listening to that, it's, it's sort of like, Putin has the culture war going in Russia, but on steroids. It's like culture war in fifth gear. So he can stand there and talk about degradation and uh, parent one, parent two, uh, all of these sorts of things. Uh, But actually, 
whilst he's doing that, whilst he's getting his audience and presumably voters and, and whatever to obsess over this and think about um, what, like family values, cultural values, whilst he's getting them to talk about that, nobody's actually hauling him over the coals for his own corruption. Mm. Yeah? yeah, the situation in Russia now is it's getting worrying for Putin. And mm. things are starting to turn. Like you're, you're absolutely right. It's it's distraction techniques, but that's because things are getting worse now. With this latest push for mobilization, more and more people from central Russian cities are being mobilized. Like pre- previously, it was mostly rural areas where the the troops were coming from. So the body bags went back to rural areas. Now the body bags are going to start coming back to Moscow and St. Petersburg. Um, there are protests going on throughout the country in places that, that Putin really needs to keep on side and who have generally loyally supported Putin's regime. You know, these aren't people who are in favor of in favor of the Ukrainian army or Ukrainian liberation. You know, they're not in favor of deposing Putin by any stretch. Um, a lot of them are quite loyal Putin supporters, but they are out on the streets protesting mothers and uh, wives protesting because to them the the worst thing in the world has happened um yeah. and they don't mind going out into the square and and getting getting killed yeah it's well this is it stark. i mean it's like you can you can push people so far uh, and it will happen here too if if um governments uh, tory or labor uh push it to to the extent that it needs to be pushed but like you can you can take the piss quite a lot with people you can tax them to the hilt you can strip back their public services you can um divide them you can lampoon them uh but eventually when you start to take their family members from them or take their houses from them uh like real shit matters to people you know you can you can you can play that game for so long but yeah i have no doubt that if if body bags of young men and, and presumably some women come back from the front line having been dragged into a war that they didn't even want to be in in the first place given minimal training and then sent out uh yeah i mean like if, if somebody did that to my kids i i don't know if i would care if i got shot by someone in 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 a square in the middle of a protest um i wonder to what extent the protests in iran the moment might i mean i don't know what coverage that's getting in russia but can you imagine the sort of influence that that might have on you like if your son has just been sent off to war and you don't know if you're ever going to see him again and then you see like these heroic like super brave girls in in iran running into the street protesting getting shot like wouldn't like I would think that would sort of serve as a spark and like ignite and not necessarily in a sort of full on Arab spring way, like, you know, across multiple nations. But I would I wonder to what extent that might spark something in Russia protest wise. Yeah, I think the uh, the degree to which it will spark a large protest movement, probably probably still fairly small because uh, people's chosen method of protesting most of the time, because it is still the safest method of protesting. Um, and particularly those who don't like Putin have just chosen to leave the, the country. That seems to be the easiest. But it's worth bearing in mind, Iran and Russia are also strategic allies. So the fact mm. that there are mass protest movements going on against both regimes uh, must give pause for thought, um, and particularly uh, pause for thought for the um, the, uh, the the Russians and the, the Iranians looking at each other. Um and it must be quite unusual. Um, you can actually gain some insight. It's really difficult to gain insight into what people inside an authoritarian regime actually believe. But you can gain some in- insight. Um, and there's several open source networks that have been open source investigators that have been looking at uh, Yandex. Uh, Yandex is the Russian version of Google. So Google is banned in Russia, but uh, Yandex is not. Um, and you can look at Yandex trends, and it's worth noting that there are signs that people in in Russia are not as uh, foolish as, as the the Kremlin might have you believe. Uh, if you were mm-hmm. to listen to some of, some of their propaganda, for example, the term "war in Ukraine" 
uh, is searched a lot more often than special special military operation and has been since the the beginning. And so they've known it's it's a war. Um, and there was also a huge spike in searches for Bucha, which is a um, an area that was attacked, a town that was was attacked, uh, and lots of atrocities were committed in that essentially Russians have no reason to be searching for. Um, and there was a big spike just after the attacks in, in April. Uh, they, they've no real reason to be searching for those atrocities unless they're looking at war crimes committed by Russia. Um, yeah. They also search uh, or searched a fair bit for uh, Echo Movsky, uh, sorry, Echo Moskvi, uh, which it was a Kremlin critical radio station that was very popular on Yandex, largely before uh, it got shut down by the the regime following Russia's invasion. Mm. But it's worth it's worth noting that even even though uh, Yuri Podolyako, who is probably one of the Kremlin's top independent bloggers who gives Russian people um, propaganda. Like, he's um, he's kind of like... He's an independent blogger, but he's kind of a bit like the, the Kremlin's Tucker Carlson, if you think of him as like a Tucker Carlson type figure. Right. Um, yeah, uh, and he searched for a lot, but even the, the fact that, even though he, he is sort of prominent in Russian thought and media, the fact that a lot of networks that have been shut down are still getting searches on Yandex indicates that there are people inside of Russia who are sceptical, but we should continue watching these trends rather than assume that these trends are signs of of revolutionary intent, because I don't think they are. Okay. Okay, that's interesting, though, because I always sort of assume, perhaps, you know, from an ignorant Westerner outsider perspective, I always assume that the information control within Russia is so sort of, you know, tight-fisted that actually your access to credible... Um, external news and information is is quite like uh, what's the word? I don't know. Quite quite slim chances that you're going to get access to like mm. critically um, like a- anything that's fueled by critical thought is always going to be sort of Kremlin stamped approved. Perhaps that's unfair. No, well, slightly. Um, so uh, Yandex is is massively censored. Do not get me wrong, but mm. the Russians still have access to YouTube, um, which a lot of people are always surprised to learn. But of course, the the primary primary language is not not English, um, and a lot of what they, comes up on their suggested page is is people like Yuri uh, Podolyaka, like people who right. will tell them exactly what the Kremlin wants to hear. They you know they'll listen to Russia Today clips and and things like that, or they would have done before Russia Today was. Um, I, I believe they've been banned from from YouTube now. Um, but yes, it's I, I would say that things are getting worse for. Putin, and particularly in this context, it's worth mentioning that the West doesn't really have have a, a way out either. And Putin, in particular, has locked himself into this corner because he's annexed four four Ukrainian territories now, five if you count Crimea. And then he said, uh, and by the way, he doesn't control a lot of those territories either. There's there's conflict going on within those territories. And then he said. Any attack on Russian soil uh, will be considered, uh, you know, a red line. That's that's something that the uh, that I, I will strike back, even if I have to use nuclear weapons. I'm I'm not taking that off the table. And this is absolutely extraordinary because he's locked himself into a box. He can't negotiate now with the Ukrainians unless he wants to give away what are now considered parts of Russia by his regime. He's mm. completely locked himself into a box. It's it's really difficult to sort of overemphasize how how badly that's fucked things up for him. No, yeah, and it seems like I mean I I talk a lot in in podcasts and blogs about uh, short termism versus long term mentality, uh, and I, th- I think we always sort of credit Putin with having a you know a really strategic mindset. Like he's a smart guy. He'll like. I remember when Trump got the presidency, everyone was like, "I mean, Putin will just run circles around him." Um, we look at him as this sort of criminal, Bond-like villain, mastermind type chap. Uh, uh, it doesn't seem to me like that's evident in his recent decision making. Um, there was a lot of stuff coming out at the beginning of the invasion where they were saying, you know, is he very ill? Is he has he gone mad? And at the time, I was like, I don't think so. Like, uh, I think he's, I mean, he's he's getting on a bit, but I didn't. He didn't look like he was on death's door to me, and I didn't think he'd gone mad. As I said at the beginning of this episode, uh, to me, it was always about natural gas. 
Ukraine has a shit ton of natural gas and Russia likes to produce natural gas from its own, you know, mainland, uh, mainland, sorry, sort of homeland, you know, wider, wider Russia. Um, uh, and so having Ukraine rise up as this sort of independent nation in a position, inarguably, to sell to the EU, where the like Russia makes most of its fucking money from selling gas to Germany, uh, was completely unacceptable to Putin. And so he was he was sort of, you know, to some extent, backed into a corner then. Like, should I should I invade Ukraine? Well, I guess, you know, I, if I want to secure Russia for the next like, 10, 20, 30 years, I'm probably going to have to do something. So in he went and expanded on that original uh, push into into Crimea. Um, now, the short termism stuff sort of comes in when you, you, you start thinking about it, like situations like you just uh, touched on there um, and talking about nukes and fucking throwing his toys out the pram and firing these missile, missiles into this park. It's like you might you like by by firing missiles into a park, you're responding to the bridge. If you hadn't responded to the bridge, people in Moscow presumably would have gone like he's lost it. You know, he's 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 soft or so he's fired back. He's answered back to that. So you might regain control for a week, but that's the short term thing. Like long term, what you've done is complete like you've introduced China. They're now talking about, you know, de-escalation. Um You've made yourself look unstable. It's it's surprising to see him react in this way, and it's actually quite worrying because I suppose, like a lot of people, I have looked at him like this sort of evil genius, and now he looks a bit more unstable. And he's talking about nuclears. I'm just like, you know, where does this go? Like, I mean, do, do we? Do we look at sort of two or three credible options here where we give him an out? We just say like, right, we will we will stand down, but you have to go and we will give you quite a nice retirement because <laughs> you retirement on an island somewhere. Do we do that? You know, give it I think they refer to it as a sort of military off ramp. Uh, do we do we threaten nuclears back? We say like, well, you said it first. Now we're saying it like, you know, stand up to him. There's a lot of people in the West that would say, yes, yes, he's, you know. He's not the only one with nukes. We should we should stand firm. Then I suppose the third option is to go that sort of like negotiation route, like accept that he has gone in harder than anyone thought that he would do uh, and and talk to Ukraine and say, look, we're going to have to let him have something or this is going to get really unstable. And it could be the end of, <laughs> of civilization, like potentially if enough nukes go off, like what the fuck are we going to do? So there's. Yeah, at what point do we ask ourselves these very awkward questions? Yeah, I, I would say that they are very awkward questions, um, but I don't know how. I suppose the, the 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 thing about him stepping down and choosing him to give it to give him a comfortable retirement is similar to if we let him take the the territory. If you let him take mm. that territory, or you give him a comfortable retirement, then the message that is sent to him and other dictators who have uh, interests in their neighbours around the world, interests in their neighbours is a very uh, underhand way of putting it, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Around the world, what they, they see is, oh, so if we have nuclear weapons and we yeah. want some territory and we want the America and the NATO and the West to stay out of our business, what we should do is essentially hold the world to ransom by means of a, uh, a nuclear annihilation. And that, and that gets us what we want. But on the other hand, we you can't... The, the ramping up escalation is an absolutely terrifying thing to do. But I don't know that it actually impacts the chances of Putin setting off a, a, a nuclear weapon anyway. Um, I, 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 don't, I, I genuinely don't know whether us standing up to him now uh, or, or refusing to stand up to him, whichever action we take, reduces the chances that a tactical nuclear weapon, which to be clear is smaller than a strategic nuclear weapon, and it's mm. not a city-destroying thing, but a, a, um, something that would be used in, in the field of battle, although conventional weapons are much more effective, so its entire use would be symbolic. Mm. Um, the idea that that would be less likely because we choose to capitulate to some of his aims, or choose to ramp up escalation and say, if you do that, we'll do this... I don't know that I. I don't know that I buy the idea. There was a piece in the Moscow Times that was titled from some um, people who uh, have contacts with Kremlin insiders, uh, and it, it was titled "Putin always chooses escalation," uh, and right. it's really difficult because how do you how do you negotiate with somebody like that? 
Yeah, I mean, it, I suppose the fourth option I didn't quite get to there is, um, like, do we just continue to funnel money and resources to Ukraine and just cross our fingers and hope that actually where Putin backs himself into a corner, there is some sort of inner circle discussion in Moscow where they, you know, they all encircle him and tell him, right, time to step down, you're done, and, you know, for, form a, a proper coup over there but you know what i've been googling like putin coup every couple of days for the last six months thinking well it's got to happen soon you know they must understand in moscow like how unstable this is all getting and how bad it is for russia like the, the whole idea of invading ukraine to my mind was to as i say secure russia and gas sales for the next like 10 20 30 years um they must understand that by going into this war they have hugely damaged Russia's international repu reputation. Nobody will forget this, even if it was resolved tomorrow. Nobody will forget this for the next like generation or two. Mm. So the damage that has been done by this can only begin to be repaired, their beloved country, uh, when they remove him from power. So I would hope that there would be at least a few of them there who would be like, this is getting out of hand. Now he's talking about nukes. What the fuck is he doing? Like standing up there talking about parent one, parent two, parent three, like the country's fucking collapsing. We need to do something. But yes. as I say, Googling for six months, like sometimes there's articles saying, you know, his his insiders are very unhappy with him, but never seems to amount to anything. Uh, have you seen the film uh, Valkyrie? Um, it's uh, no. ah, it's, it's about um, uh, it's about the July plotters who tried to assassinate Adolf Hitler in the later period of World War Two, and uh, among them, uh, very prominent name, the Colonel Stauffenberg. They always centre on on Colonel Stauffenberg and and um, uh, people like him with relatively clean reputations, because it it's barely ever pointed out that a lot of these people just wanted the the atrocities. Um, and the war against Russia to continue and wanted a peace with the, the West and, and Hitler's regime to be brought down. It's mm. worth bearing in mind, my, my point being, it's worth bearing in mind, a lot of the people who would try uh, attempt a coup in Russia don't, don't actually uh, mind uh, invading other countries. They don't mind threatening the rest of the world with, with nuclear weapons. And it's worth bearing in mind as well that a lot of foreign policy analysts are speculating that v the Wagner Group are being, uh, are being sent to fight in uh, Donetsk and Luhansk at the moment deliberately to keep them away from Moscow so that their forces are kept well away from, from the Kremlin. Um, so mm. make of that what you will. But Interesting I think, though, uh, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I, I, although I understand that they may not care immediately about events that are taking place in a different country, in a different part of the world, um, I would assume that they would feel in a very real way the changes that are happening in Russia as a result of this invasion. Like in the same way that, you know, you if you're British... You might not care an awful lot about what's happening in Kiev, um, but you will know <laughs> like the changes in our society over the last year um, with gas prices going up, electric prices going up, um, the instability. I mean, you could actually track the all, like mortgage interest rates, the impact of the Ukraine situation on mortgage in interest rates, because when the wholesale gas price increased, when that crunch point began, that was the beginning of the cost of living crisis, which then spawned this idea from Kwartang and, and uh, Trust to start dishing out money. We'll give everyone a tax cut and that will help with the cost of living crisis. Well, great, but it wasn't costed. That spooked the markets. That meant interest rates rose up. So now we all have like, you know, double mortgage repayments and, you know, potentially in February, like £400, £500 in bills. Yeah. Um, so all of that, like we all notice this stuff from our perspective in British society. So I wonder, like, are we letting them off too easily? In Moscow, in the Kremlin, like they, I would have thought there would be a, a group of people in there who were like, hang on a second, no McDonald's down the road. Hang on a second, I can't use Apple Pay any, anymore. What the fuck? Like, I thought, I thought this is supposed to make our country great. What's going on? Yeah, and th things are getting worse, but... Um... I guess that's that's why the the escalation. Um, by the way, uh, it's worth mentioning that most foreign policy analysts, unlike when Russia was building up troops on the border and they were warning, "Oh, Russia is probably going to invade," because the way that this build up looks is looking like a, a proper invasion force, not just a a uh, you know a war games kind of thing on the border. Uh, unlike that situation, 
it seems to be that this is largely just posturing and it's about psychological warfare against the West. It's about making people in the West go, oh, because if they were actually considering using nuclear weapons, they would be doing bunker drills. They would be digging bunkers and and trying to, you know, secure the situation for uh, Russian citizens in in the event of retaliation. The odds Mm. that they will just use a nuclear weapon, even a tactical nuclear weapon, are very slim because you you expect to see a build-up of like chemical weapons or biological weapons first and then nuclear weapons. And the, as I say, they don't have much use in the field because uh, Ukrainian uh, NATO vehicles can protect you uh, unless you're in like the immediate blast radius of like 500 meters against a small small nuclear weapon. The, uh, the, the equipment that the Ukrainian army is using largely keeps them, them protected. Uh, long-term radiation poisoning, of course, is, is a slightly slightly different matter, but even then, yeah. they're they're in a pretty good, uh, good situation. And the other thing I, I wanted to talk about just briefly, because uh, we've we've overrun by quite a bit. Um, but uh, I just wanted to talk about um, Biden uh, and his response. I actually, I, I've been impressed with Biden's response. I think it's been really good. His response has been ambiguous, but pretty firm. And he's he's put out sort of three broad options. And said, "Okay, we're not doing a nuclear response, which I think is a really good good response. If 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 um, Putin fires a nuclear weapon, we will not respond with nuclear weapons. What we will do is we will uh, potentially push their their reg- regime um, out of Ukraine and out out of Crimea using a joint NATO task force um, operated from Poland, or we will sink the Black Sea fleet, which would be a huge loss for Russia, or we will impose our own." no-fly zone. These are all ideas that have been floated around uh, the Pentagon. And it's it's worth considering as well that Russia is so screwed when it comes to facing down the American military. If it can't handle Ukraine's military in, in Ukraine, it can't handle... I mean, America spends more on yeah. its military than the next seven countries combined. The, the ridiculous power of the American military, even just the conventional forces is not one you want to bring to bear on your fleet. Mm. This is the thing that always confuses me a, a bit, is if you went into a pub uh, with a you know a little switchblade knife, would you go up to the guy that had, like, you know, three guns and a, sort of like, 12-inch, like, you know, crocodile Dundee fucking dagger thing and a bazooka on his... Like, it, it just seems like America are so well-equipped... And armed and, you know, we, we know which side of the fence militarily they sit on with this uh, with this situation. Um, it it just seems like. Like you would have to be insane. Maybe maybe this plays into the whole like, oh, Putin's just gone mad thing, which I you know fundamentally disagree with. But it like it does sort of lend a bit of credence to that. It's like you, you've got to be a bit nuts to to threaten nukes with a. A, a, like ostensibly a country i know that it, it's not literally america's war but they must know that america are on ukraine's side so to talk about nukes in a situation where you've got let's say the bigger brother in the background with a shit ton of fucking nukes just seems like you'd have to be a couple of screws short and that's that's the thing of course is it is very much it's that psychological warfare thing it's the kind of like mm. I will use nuclear weapons, um, and and the reality is that Putin will not use mm. <laughs> use like the the odds of him using nuclear weapons are pretty small, um, and it mm. it's perhaps that lack of preparation suggests that he is sending a very clear signal to the Pentagon. I'm just posturing. I'm just yeah. I'm not I'm not actually intending to use nuclear weapons here, but I'm I'm trying to make some of your allies think twice about giving support to Ukraine. Um, mm. And that make the Ukrainians think twice, because uh, he hasn't got a lot else left, and he's locked himself into a box. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts? Not, not really. No. I mean, it's it's such a sort of open ended, unresolvable situation at the moment. It's difficult to kind of wrap it up in a in a final thought, isn't it? I just, I mean, my personal hope is that uh, that there is some sort of coup overthrow situation. I don't know how likely that is at this stage. Um, and yeah, I don't know, big, big support to, uh, to Ukraine. And I hope that they can continue to make the same successes that they've, they've made over the last few weeks and months. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, particularly uh, also support to the um, the protesters within uh, within Russia who are uh, anti-war and who are opposing the um, uh, yeah opposing the war as well. Lots of very brave people currently being arrested. You know, not not people as I say that I I would often find myself agreeing with politically. A lot of these people are mm. open open fascists, but I I would say that uh, Putin's regime is also openly fascist. So my choices are really limited. But it, it does take a lot of bravery to stand up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it is it is a very difficult, um, yeah, difficult scenario to just lay down and summarize. You are correct. Uh, but thank you for coming on and trying. I really appreciate it. Um, sure, you're yeah, welcome. It's been absolutely fantastic having you, and I hope that you'll come back at some point uh, to speak to me and Tumble Dryer Maya, um, who will be returning in next month or so once she's completed her move to continue co-hosting the podcast with me. And perhaps we can get you back on then, and yeah, and have a, a good chat about some other shit, probably the Tories, uh, knowing yeah. the, the work that we do. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, where can people find your podcast? Yeah, so I'm on like Spotify, Apple, YouTube, all the usual places, um, and it's called Aid Thompson with an I N on the end. Aid Thompson and other disappointments. Uh, I do two shows a week. Wednesday is a solo one, and Friday I usually have a guest on. Absolutely excellent. Um, what's your Twitter handle for that? Well, yes. So, um, so for me, it's at Aid Thompson, which it's the same on like, Instagram and, and TikTok or, or whatever your social media platform of choices uh and then for the podcast it has its own uh, twitter which is at oh shut up aid <laughs> absolutely fantastic uh, all right that is brilliant okay so um thank you everyone for listening and please give the podcast a follow sorry this was a little bit of a longer episode but i thought it was worth going into worth getting some depth with this one yes thank you to aid for for coming on and give the podcast a follow guys and hopefully see you all in the near future. Thank you very much. Bye.